الجزيرة بودكاست Rising before the sun, Yara Elmjui found himself working alongside migrant farmers in the fields of Salinas, California. I'm going to be heading to the farm to pick some lettuce and I think cilantro and parsley and some other things. It's 2019, and he's reporting for AJ Plus on what food consumers get wrong about farm work. California's massive agriculture industry, which feeds the entire country, runs largely on the backs of undocumented immigrants, mostly from Mexico and Central America. Three years later, Yar found himself on a stage, accepting a James Beard Award. I'm just really grateful that the stories of Marisa, Javier, Grio were just a, a vessel, like a, a paper boat on which these stories can be kind of disseminated. The James Beard Awards are considered the Oscars of the culinary world. And for the first time this year, more than half the finalists were immigrants or from immigrant families, just like the farm workers that Yara talked to for his film. Historically, though, the awards have been criticized for being exclusionary. Now we have a Hawaiian female restaurateur, a Haitian gay male chef, an indigenous female chef, a queer black wine educator, and on and on. So how are immigrants making space for themselves at the table? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. My name is Yara Elmjui, and I am the host and senior producer of Eat This with Yara, which is a show on Al Jazeera's AJ Plus that sort of looks at the intersection of food issues and society, politics, culture, and the environment. So, Yara, you have been nominated for the James Beard Award several times, and you won in 2022 for your short documentary, What Everyone Gets Wrong About Farm Work. So, First off, congratulations in person, because I've only told you that over social. Thank you. So tell us about your documentary. So the documentary that we won for uh, actually was filmed right before the pandemic. And so it was a documentary that sort of, you know, calls into question this concept of unskilled labor. We have politicians, Democrat and Republican, that frequently refer to, uh, you know, migrant workers that say work in the agricultural field in the United States as unskilled, low-skilled. Low-skilled. Low-skills. Unskilled. Low-education. Well, is this labor really unskilled? Is any labor really unskilled or low-skilled? So uh, my team and I, uh, with the show back then, we basically decided to spend, you know, just under a week out in the fields of Salinas, California, which is often referred to as the salad bowl of the, you know, the, the United States. Mm-hmm. 70% of the country's lettuce comes from this one place in California. And so I worked alongside uh, the farm workers getting up super duper early. And what I learned from the end of it was this is very athletic you know, quite challenging work. And there's a certain amount of like, almost like manual acrobatics that are going on. And one of those farm workers, Javier Zamora, agrees. He taught Yara how to pick strawberries in that documentary. We have to be highly skilled to do what we do. Okay, so just pick it. Oh, oh, did I do too much? (laughs) 
don't pick the stem. <laughs> yeah. There's actually a technique to yeah. pick strawberry. Mm. You tug and then you twist. You hear that click click and then you go around. And it takes some cases years to really perfect the speed and the endurance and again the the athleticism of picking these greens and you see their their hands moving so quickly and they're juggling this and that. And the second element we explored was sort of how, you know, uh, migrant laborers, you know, basically power so much of America's agriculture industry. Yeah. It's the subject of that documentary that really almost was ahead of its time because we're talking to you today because this year's awards stood out Mm. because more than half of the finalists are immigrants or come from immigrant families. And you were highlighting um, the immigrant workers behind the food. So lest anyone think this is just a journalism award, this is more than food journalism, right? How would you describe the James Beard Award for an audience that has no idea what it is? So, yes, the James Beard Awards, they separate the media awards from the chef awards, where they actually award chefs and restaurants all throughout the country. And they do send sort of secret eaters all throughout the United States. And that ceremony, I believe this, this past year, there was like 1,500 people in attendance. Some of the photos, when you look at them, they look like the Oscars. Mm-hmm. You have mezzanines. I think the chairs are red. There's sort of red carpet. And it's just this glorious scene where all of the top sort of food professionals in the country are, you know, are there in attendance watching these announcements. Good food. All good. <laughs> all right, great. It's going to be a great night. Thank you all. So really, it is an Oscar-like performance. It's very regal, and, and I really do think it's deserving of that title in terms of all the ceremonial sort of procedures that they have. I love it. So let's talk about this year's winners in the restaurant and chef category. The recipients of America's Classics Award were two Asian-owned diners, the Peking Noodle Parlor in Butte, Montana. Welcome to the oldest family-owned Chinese restaurant in America. It opened in 1911, which is amazing, especially when you think Montana. Who knew? And the Monago Hotel in Hawaii, which was opened by two Japanese immigrants in 1917. Monago Hotel in Captain Cook received the James Beard 2023 America's Classics Award for the Pacific and Northwest region. What does it say to you that these are now seen as America's classics? Ooh, I love that. I I, I think really it's so fascinating uh, you know, when I look back at, you know, the stuff I've read about Mr. James Beard himself and how he was, a, you know, a pioneer in televised food uh, media. And so to see sort of, you know, his focus back then was very much on what is American food, you know, fresh ingredients, American ingredients, right? That belief shows through in this quote from Beard narrated in a documentary about his life. It is true thrift to use the best ingredients available. Use them carefully and wisely, and you will have less waste than if you search for bargains and end up with a full garbage pail. And to take that concept from like, you know, 50, 60 years ago and and then try to map it onto today, it's incredible like how the general public has sort of come to see American food. The food is in many ways reflective, you know, of the people that live here, people who have immigrated here people who were here before all the immigrants, right? And so there have been indigenous chefs who have been recognized. 
And it's kind of shocking because I think, you know, how to describe American food in 2023 is just so radically different from 60, 70 years ago. Honestly, Chinese food, General Tso's chicken and, you know, so many other dishes, the beef and broccoli, right, mm-hmm. is, a, is an American dish. Uh, and so on, and chop suey, all these sorts of things. Your tacos, I mean, this, even this concept of Taco Tuesday is, like, <laughs> Very this is American. an American concept. I mean, tacos are not, you know. And then we have even dishes that are created from these cuisines, mm-hmm. right, that don't even, don't even exist in the country of origin. Again, like I bring back General Tso's and beef and broccoli. You know, broccoli is not an indigenous uh, vegetable in China, mm-hmm. right? So these are sort of creations that have come to be, come in existence. I think it's definitely a reflection of what America is today and and how the demography of this country has changed uh, you know, so much. What's interesting is that the James Beard Awards weren't always so inclusive. In fact, we had the chef and writer and TV host, Anthony Bourdain. He once compared the awards to Elvis, white, fat, despicable, isolated, gluttonous, surrounded by sycophants, Beard House equals Graceland of food. (laughs) So not at all flattering. Very recently, the foundation had serious controversy about the lack of diversity in their nominees and in their selection committees. So can you explain some of the criticism that these awards have faced? Totally, yes. I mean, coming into it, of course, I'd I'd read about all these stories. You know, I hadn't personally come across the Anthony Bourdain quote, but that sentiment was very present in the media how, you know, you'd go, you know, a year, for example, of the ceremony would not include anyone but white chefs or white cooks or, you know, white folks in the industry. In 2020 and 2021, there were additional controversies. Reporting from the New York Times revealed that, you know, one of these glaring issues that they had is that none of the the 23 winners in the chef category were Black. The James Beard Foundation canceled the awards in 2020, officially because of the pandemic but also reportedly because of concerns about a lack of diversity among the top vote-getters. And this was around the time Black Lives Matter was starting to bubble up. It was just such a glaring, you know, uh, awful thing to have happen. And then uh, they came back in 2022, and that was the year that kind of we actually ended up winning. And, you know, I was present at the ceremony. This was my second time. And to me, again, just as an observer, I did notice you know, quite a few changes. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that the application process has been, I mean, just compared to all the other awards I've applied to, quite equitable. And they ask you about, obviously, they ask you about your race, your sexual orientation, but not just those. They ask you about uh, how much money you make, oh, right? Wow. So this is a socioeconomic consideration as well. They don't want to just privilege rich people. Uh, I've not seen that, honestly. I've not seen that in any of the other, you know, big name awards asking details about this stuff. I think coming into that personally, I was quite taken aback by, oh, wow, like it seems like they are trying to, you know, value this sort of equitable distribution. But away from the spotlight, the obstacles immigrants are still facing in the food industry. That's after the break. Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera news updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This year's James Beard Awards were packed with immigrants and children of immigrants including chef and restaurant owner Marissa Tapia Gencarelli, 
in Kansas City. The name of our business is Yoli Tortilleria. I'm originally from Ciudad Oregon, Sonora, Mexico. So for those that are not familiar with Mexico's territory, this is the northern part of Mexico. Marissa's business is the first ever recipient of a James Beard Outstanding Bakery Award. And if you couldn't tell by the name, it specializes in tortillas, a staple of Mexican cuisine, selling them all over the city and the country. Tortillas, you know, the flour tortilla said that it was born in Sonora. And it's traditionally was done with only uh, flour, water, and sea salt. And eventually they started using the fat. So one of the things that we really wanted to go ahead is promote how rich and diverse Mexican food was. And also we are really wanted to be stewards of the land. And so one of the things that people don't realize is that in Mexican cuisine, you're eating what's around you. And one of the things that I wanted to do is like, well, you know, what kind of ingredients do we have available to us? And how do we use traditional Mexican processes for it? Marissa says she never expected to win, but that winning has felt like recognition, not just for her business, but for all Mexican bakeries and immigrants. The importance of the tortilla in the United States is such an ingredient that is everywhere. When I got here to work, uh, all the tortilleras are like, oh, congratulations, congratulations to you. You're the one who's working on this every day, too. United States, is, it was built, a lot of people forget, we're built on immigrants, you know? We were built, that's our foundation. What might be the next frontier of recognition for immigrant chefs is fine dining. It's something Yara's reported on. So Yara, different ethnic cuisines are making their mark in high-end fine dining. You've done some reporting on how East Asian cuisines are still being seen and valued differently by Western eaters. So what did you find? Totally. So we actually did explore probably what has been referred to as the most controversial ingredient of all time, uh, MSG, monosodium glutamate. A controversial food ingredient, the seasoning known as MSG. Many Americans grew up hearing it's unhealthy or even dangerous to consume. And, you know, we interviewed a couple Asian-American chefs based in New York City. My parents cooked with MSG, so I'm very familiar with the ingredient. But as a professional chef growing up in the industry, because of the stigma, there was a lot of pressure not to use the MSG. It does seem in the minds of, you know, a lot of Americans, really all over the world, there is a hierarchy of cuisines. And uh, in terms of what cuisines people are willing to shell out more money for and what cuisines people are not willing to shell out money for, right? So one of the things, obviously, interviewing uh, a Vietnamese-American chef, a Chinese-American chef, something that came up was, I cannot, and I'm speaking on behalf of the chef, like, I cannot charge the same amount for this uh, Niman Ranch organic pork mm -hmm. that a French restaurant could, right? We'll use the same meat, we'll use the same ingredients wow. as a French or an Italian restaurant, but people will just simply not pay as much at, say, a Vietnamese restaurant. And even if you consider the labor that's considered in, say, making pho, you know, the Vietnamese soup, 
you know, it's a very labor-intensive broth. They, sometimes they'll boil it and simmer it for 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is a, a huge process that extracts so much flavor and amino acids from the bones and the meat. And you really have this flavorful, delicious broth. And something like that, that's that labor-intensive, unfortunately, they cannot, they say, charge as much as, say, you know, let's say an Italian restaurant mm. that's just juggling some, uh, you know, some pasta in, you know, with cacio e pepe, for example, yeah. which is like pepper and cheese. <laughs> so this sort of inequality that exists uh, is a real thing. And I don't want to necessarily just chalk it up to like racism or something, but mm -hmm. I feel like there is a sort of a mental categorization that goes on. And, you know, part of it may be race-based, part of it may be just conception of how people value and see different foods based on how those foods are represented in the media, in the world that they kind of come across in their daily lives. It's, uh, yeah, it's a very unfortunate thing. It's just the perception. Do you think that there might be a change to that, given that the Oscars of the culinary world is, you know, recognizing immigrant chefs, immigrant labor, do you see that changing? I I am personally of a glass half full kind of person. So I do see it changing. And we're seeing, you know, for example, this year, the New York City top restaurant went to uh, a modern Korean restaurant called Atomics. This sort of, I think, rejuggling or recategorization of, you know, the restaurants that are winning awards and the kinds of people that are winning awards, you know, that individual can now put the James Beard sort of mark or insignia on, on their store. I think these sorts of things can help level out the playing field, right? Mm -hmm. And I think in this sense, uh, at the very least, perhaps the food hierarchy can be somewhat more equalized or at least a couple more contenders besides just French, Italian, and Japanese can enter sort of that zone of, you know, we can charge this much, our food is valued this much. And ideally, going forward, if this equitable process continues, where we'll get, you know, chefs of color, Black American chefs, brown chefs, you know, Asian American chefs, all chefs from all over the world, uh, being able to have their food recognized in such a prestigious ceremony, perhaps we can try to further sort of level that playing field. So finally, Yara, I want to end with where it started for you as a James Beard Award winner. The top tier of the immigrant food world seems like it's finally getting more recognition. But for people in the ground-level roles who are also mainly immigrants, issues remain like low pay, lack of recognition, lack of mobility. And for your documentary and in your work, you spent some time with those people, farm workers who pick the produce used in fine dining dishes. Do you think that better working conditions and recognition are coming for them too? Hmm. Am I glass half full about that? It's very difficult to say. I mean, with media, we try to encourage folks to, you know, really pay attention to this, that, you know, the, the price of a single strawberry, how much labor goes into picking those strawberries and arranging them. Um, but I think a change on that front will require a sort of change in worldview at the top. You know, official statistics say something like 50%. Unofficial statistics say 75% of folks that work in the agriculture sector, uh, two-thirds, you know, are, is another stat, are undocumented workers. So what does that say about us? You know, what does that say about the state of this country when undocumented people who are being paid far below minimum wage, again, because they're undocumented, they lose a lot of leverage and bargaining power, are being treated in this way? But why is that the cost that must be paid? 
even a lot of these restaurants, right? You know, you see this one chef highlighted, but who's working in the back? Hmm. Who are the people actually cooking the food at these top-tier restaurants or mid-middle-tier restaurants or lower-tier restaurants? They may be migrant workers themselves. They may be undocumented themselves. They're paid very poorly. Ideally, if a ceremony like the James Beard Awards can maybe give an award, you know, give an award to these sorts of folks. I haven't seen any sort of award given to who are the people in the back of the kitchen. How about those? How about we elevate their voices? And that's the take. We'll pop a link to Yara's documentary on our social accounts. You can find us at AJE Podcasts on Twitter and Instagram. This episode was produced by Chloe K. Lee and Miranda Lynn, with Sonia Bagat, David Enders, Ashish Malhotra, Nagin Oliayi, Khalid Sultan, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back. <laughs>